answer mailbag questions, dive into Trevor Lawrence's recent comments, which gets us to why the NFL draft is much more than just about talent. And we talk Jets NFL draft pick 23 and 34. Sable Radio back again. And looky here, just six days after the last episode. No hibernation. We're rolling. Looking to do two podcasts a week. And off we go. Maybe a live stream here and there. Uh, JetX just did a live stream. Me, Nania, blew it on Wednesday. It was a marathon. If you stuck with it all, I mean, I tip your cap. I tip my cap to you because that's that's a hell of a thing. I question what you're doing with your nights, but hey, it's a Wednesday. You know, it's not like I have a life. I mean, I had a life years ago. Not no more. Double negative. But back again. Today, we'll go through some mailbag stuff. A lot of questions sent in. I got three. My apologies to those I didn't get to, but, you know, we could do this pretty much every episode. Moving forward, uh, maybe we'll do a mock draft in one of the simulators, and we'll also talk about the Trevor Lawrence comments and how it translates into talent evaluators making decisions in the draft. The good thing for Jets fans, and it's a great sign, I mean, you've heard it over and over over again with Joe Douglas preaching culture and character. Yeah, you roll your eyes every time he says it at this point, but it's very important. It's critical to football building. Mark Schlereth had some words on the Rich Eisen show we'll get into a little bit, and Mark Schlereth is a friend to all Jets fans right now, obviously. We'll also get into that a little bit. Uh, First mailbag, Yoshi from Uptown Manhattan. What is your dream scenario for the first round for each of you guys? I think you saw the live stream with me, Nani, and Blewett, which disappointed me because I tried to get I tried to get Blewett going. Um, you know, I tried to get him going a little bit, up in arms, frustrated, yelling like a maniac, flailing his arms, but he, he just didn't take the bait. I have a lot to learn. Kyle Smith knows exactly how to do it. He knows how to trigger the man, and. You know, I'm going to take notes with the next live stream because I just, I don't have the talent. I don't know. Maybe it's my voice. Maybe I talk too slow, which yes, I'm an infamously slow talker. There's no question about it. It's a painful listen sometimes. I'm unapologetic. You know, let's live in reality. Let's live in today's my universe. Self-awareness is a hell of a thing. I am a slow freaking talker. What are you going to do? It's the way I was built. Yoshi, Uptown, Manhattan. But yeah, blew it. Next time, uh, I'm going to come prepared. Next JetX live stream, I will come prepared. For those watching on YouTube, see the mailbag email there, robbie.sabo at jetsxfactor or bby, like Robbie Anderson, dot sabo, S-A-B as in boy O, at jetsxfactor. Send in mailbag questions anytime. We'll answer them. I think each podcast will do a couple, uh, two or three. And you'll also see the live number. 
as you listen to this and watch this on YouTube. Obviously, I'm not live right now, but I want to leave that number there for everybody when we do live streams for people to call in. Because again, if if I'm doing this podcast by myself, I, I want to mix it up. I want people to call. It's the best part about audio. Francesa, the Mad Dog, WFAN, I, I grew up on that. Mixing it up with the callers is the best part of audio in sports. It's just that simple. So getting that phone line going is good. It's a decent system, how we have it set up. Uh, last couple of streams, we haven't really taken too many calls. Haven't had too many callers, actually. Got to make sure everything's uh, on the up and up, technical-wise, with that. But prior to that, we had a bunch of callers call in, and we'll continue with that. But for now, all the info's there. Mailbag, let's go. Yoshi from Uptown Manhattan. What is your dream scenario for the first round for each of you guys? Do you think about moving back out of 23 if your guy isn't there? And how far would you go back? Yeah, I would think about trading back. There's no question. In the live stream with uh, Nania and Blewett, I can't remember if we did trade back or not, but there was a point where, in one of the simulators I've done recently, where there's no one really there, and you could trade back one or two or three spots and still get your guy. Trade back is an option to me. Trade up, that would take something very special. And I think maybe only a J.C. Horn if he slips a bit into the late teens, would I think about trading up? I want as many assets as possible. I don't want to mess around in terms of trading up and giving up assets. This team has a lot of holes, and I want to acquire as many possible talents as I could if I'm Joe Douglas. Trade back. Dream scenario, Yoshi asks. Well, 23-34, Zach Wilson at number two, 23. To me, it's because interior offensive line is so deep. To me, 34 is where I'm targeting interior offensive line. I'd be happy with Wyatt Davis at 34. Uh, Creed Humphrey is an interesting choice. I don't know how much he fits the Jets, and he's also a center, if I'm not mistaken. So Creed Humphrey is interesting. I don't know if... I'd pull the trigger on him at 23. And if you're watching right now, we're using the draft network uh, simulator. We used pro football network last time. Here's draft network this time. Look at this. Kyle Pitts fell to number 12 in this simulator, which is possible. Uh, Andrew Golden, one of our writers at JetX, recently did a mock and put Pitts at 13. And a lot of people are slamming him. Uh, But this is what happens. People see mocks. All the mocks look the same. And if anyone varies from that result, that consensus, people get slammed. Yet when the draft comes, crazy stuff happens and then everyone forgets about it. It, it Just look to last year. Look to history. It happens all the time. So don't slam pits to 12 or 13. That could absolutely happen. I don't think it's going to happen, but it can. Um, At 23, the dream scenario to me is obviously J.C. Horn at 23, which is not going to happen. And then interior O-line at 34, Wyatt Davis. Alternative dream scenarios are Greg Newsom at 23. In this mock, Newsom went 21 to the Colts. I would not trade up for Newsom. 
I would think about it for Horn, but that's it. Elijah Vera Tucker is the other option at 23, which would make 34 interesting. Uh, Tevin Jenkins, also another option. But again, dream scenario, Horn or Newsom at 23, Wyatt Davis at 34, or another interior offensive lineman who could fall. It depends on scheme. Again, Wyatt Davis could handle the zone scheme. He could handle the wide zone. Creed Humphrey, I don't know. It's it's a bit of a mystery to me. I'm not going to lie and pretend I've watched a ton of tape on this guy. I haven't. He projects as a center coming from Oklahoma. Uh, Draft Network thinks he's more of a gap scheme guy. Hat on hat. Can he play zone? Uh, I don't know. I know Wyatt Davis can. That's the difference. Trey Smith is another interesting guy later in the draft. Um, So if Jalen Phillips is available at 23, it's not like I wouldn't hesitate, but he's also an option too. And then try to get your interior offensive lineman. If you don't get him at 34, get him later. Corner, Nani and Blewett feel like corner is a little deep, maybe even deeper than interior offensive line after 34, after 23 and 34, and that's possible. Uh, but right now, yeah, yeah, dream scenario, J.C. Horn, but that's dream. Again, dream. Daniel, uh, with these mailbags, I'm not going to give the last name out unless you guys tell me it's okay. And also, if you're on social media and you send in a mailbag question, you want some attention for your social media accounts, send that over to Twitter, Instagram, Uh, any of it. Daniel asks, with so many holes in the current roster, it seems likely that one or more will remain post-draft. Yes. If that's the case, which areas would you be most comfortable rolling with stopgap measures this year? I think we'll draft one decent guard, but probably, if not two, a good will weak side linebacker might elude us and a X-factor receiver, gadget type receiver who could assume uh, slot duties behind Crowder, jet motion, even take a handoff, pump return, and maybe even kick return because the, the Jets have been lacking a serious return guy for a while. Uh, Vincent Smith could do it on kickoff, and kickoff isn't as important as it used to be. You know, it's, it's a touchback nearly. Jeez, I don't even know what the percentage is. It's so outrageous, it's not even worth mentioning the percentage. Uh, but punt return is still important. They need one of those guys badly. Uh, the running back and tight end positions, I'm also not confident will get adequately resolved in 2020. So what would I be most comfortable with rolling in terms of stop gap measures? Anything on the outer part of the depth chart, meaning football is still an inside out game. The positions that that have their development production ceiling raised most that are most affected by other positions are the outer positions pass rush four man pass rush D line against the run greatly more greatly affects the development ceiling for linebacker and corner and safety as opposed to the other way around you know a great safety is not affecting the ceiling of a great edge player nearly as much as the other way around. 
Same with offensive line to quarterback or offensive line to running back. Quarterback's the one exception. You kind of put him on an island. But still, offensive line to quarterback is a huge deal compared to the other way around. A great quarterback doesn't help an offensive lineman as much as a great offensive lineman helps a quarterback. The, the great receiver doesn't help the offensive line as much as the offensive line helps the great receiver. It's inside out. Everything trickles from the inside out. So in that case, I mean, yeah, they need cornerbacks badly. They need linebackers badly. You could use a tight end. I would love to see them draft a tight end. I like the Boston College kid, Long, uh, Hunter Long, I believe his name is. You would love to see them draft a running back, but they don't need running backs and tight ends. You know, Herndon, Croft, Wesco playing fullback. They still have Griffin. At running back, you got Ty Johnson. He's the speed demon. You got P. Ryan. Douglas gave up a mid-round pick for him last year in drafting him. And you got Tevin Coleman, out of the backfield threat, who understands the Shanahan system. And again, we don't know what LaFleur is exactly going to do and what his offense is going to look like, but still, Coleman knows LaFleur. With those players, you don't have to draft a running back or a tight end, and you don't even have to draft a receiver if we're being completely honest, it it's deep. Injuries are the only thing that could make it not deep, but it's pretty deep right now. Keelan Cole as a number four is tremendous. He could play outside. He could play inside. Barrios as a backup slot. I'll take it. You know, Barrios, he does everything right, except he'll drop a pass here and there. And, and you just can't do that as a slot receiver in his position. You can't drop a pass. You can't drop one pass a game. Sometimes they're difficult catches to make, and it goes down as a drop in the books, but still, you got to catch everything in sight if you're in his position. Uh, he's, I guess he's the de facto punt returner as well. He's the de facto backup slot. I would rank it like this. Corner, I would say, is the by far, if everything is even, Corner is the biggest need they have, but everything's not even. You got to protect Wilson. We talked about this on the live stream. So, because of Wilson at number two, interior offensive line is the number one need. I like George Fant at right tackle. His athleticism, I think, is going to prove even better for him in the LaFleur system. You know, Gase was his own running guy as well, he did mix in some gap principles. Uh, LaFleur is a zone running guy, but not all zone running schemes are created equal. LaFleur loves the wide zone a lot more. And when I say LaFleur, I mean Shanahan. Gase was inside to mid, tight even sometimes with a lot of flash action, with a lot of split action, uh, inside zone split uh, between the tackle stuff, which is why Frank Gore actually worked better than P. Ryan last year. And I know as much as all fans wanted to see P. Ryan, Frank Gore was the better option in terms of helping develop Darnold and trying to win games. Now, I think Piran will have a better go of it with the floor system, but that remains to be seen. So to answer your question, it's a tough one, but I'd say they have to get a linebacker, they have to get a corner, they have to get interior linemen. Other than that, everything's up for grabs. Linebacker, I guess I'd feel most comfortable with in a stopgap uh, scenario. 
then corner. Um, running back, tight end, receiver is off the board. It's linebacker and corner. Uh, I'm not even considering running back and tight end because I, I think they don't have to draft a guy in those two positions. Anthony, last mailbag question of the day. Media, the media, has an agenda against the New York Jets. Why is the media so contradicting? For a few years, all we have been hearing from a good portion of the media is how Sam Darnold can't play. Now that the Jets have traded him, the same media that was saying Darnold is trash is saying that it is a mistake to trade Darnold. Which one is it? Your thoughts. Whenever you get, and first of all, thank you, Anthony. Whenever you get into these scenarios where you find or you feel that the media is being contradictory, my advice is always to get specific. Be specific in your criticism. Which media? Who? Is it ESPN? Is it one particular person? That's very important. Because I know in in today's world, the mainstream media gets lumped into one group as opposed to independent coverage. You can't paint everybody with the same brush. Just can't do it because then your criticism lacks that specific information and detail that's needed. So whenever you get into this situation and you feel something's wrong and you want to comment about it, get specific. Who is contradicting themselves? Which company is contradicting themselves? That's very important. What I'd say about the media is, you know, Darnold, I wouldn't say the media has always claimed Darnold can't play. In fact, I kind of think the reason it hasn't been that way is because of Adam Gase. The narrative behind Gase, and even to a smaller extent, the narrative behind the Jets organization as a whole, who even though you know they haven't won in the past 10 years, they haven't been to the playoffs, so they deserve a lot of blame themselves, they get unfairly dumped on at times. So with Gase in the mix... I don't. I haven't really seen mainstream media or any any one significant uh, mainstream voice say Darnold can't play. I think it just Gase kind of screwed that narrative up. And for Jets fans who love the return Douglas got for Darnold, a second, a fourth, and a sixth, thank Adam Gase. Without Gase, if Darnold put up this production, he's not getting that return, Douglas. There's no chance in hell. Now, without Gase, is Darnold putting up better production? Quite probably. Uh, with a better offensive line, his rookie year, is his confidence on the upswing instead of the other way around? Yeah. So I don't agree with the part that the media was unfairly dumping on Darnold and now he could play in Carolina and it's going to be roses and it's going to be great. Um, for the most part, the mainstream voice... It, there's going to be more optimism when a Darnold, when a failed third overall pick goes to a new team because mainstream voices don't want to dump on franchises every chance they get. What I'll say about the mainstream media is this. The Jets, especially, the rabid fan bases, New York, Chicago, uh, Boston, Philly, mainstream media is very smart in how they handle those franchises. 
especially in the social media age. And whether this was their intent or not, doesn't matter. This is what it is. Social media dictates traffic. It dictates the narrative. And when doing a story on the Jets, the goal is to make the Jets fan either 100% thrilled or 100% disgusted. You want to provoke an emotion that is all the way. 100% positive or negative. Because that provokes reactions that lead to clicks, that lead to discussion, that leads to shares. And with the Jets, you know, starving, rabid fan base, it's a perfect formula. It's a perfect storm. Uh, You know, I've said it, I said it on the live stream. The reason you heard a lot of Trevor Lawrence should avoid the Jets talk early in the season is because that generates a lot of attention and a lot of traffic and a lot of emotion. And the reason you didn't hear it once the Jags uh, surpassed the Jets in the tank standings is because the nine Jags fans in Jacksonville won't provoke and won't uh, materialize the same sort of emotion. It's just that simple. So when thinking about the media, keep that in the back of your head. Um, a lot of these times, these panels, they, these guys only get two minutes to talk. It's like a tweet. The, these panels on, on news stations with, with regular news or even sports, it's like a tweet instead of a backstory, instead of detail. And it's just designed to drive the conversation, drive traffic. And it's good to listen to, to watch, to pick up news, but it's not good when really digging in and trying to find the solution to a question you may have. So would I say the media has an agenda against the Jets? No, I would not say that. I would say they do have an agenda when speaking or doing something on the Jets or the Giants or the Knicks or the Phillies or the Bruins or the Celtics. And it's because those fan bases are gold. Those fan bases will drive the traffic and drive the conversation and drive clicks. And whether it's 100% positive, you watch. If the Jets are good, if they suddenly win 13 games this year, or 10 games or 11 games and sneak in as a wildcard team, there will be a lot of conversation around, can the Jets win the Super Bowl? Even if most people don't think they can win the Super Bowl, Because at that point, everything's positive, and you take the agenda to an even more positive level. You get the hopes up even further. So whether it's negative or positive, you just up the ante. And because it's New York, because they're starving, it it does wonders for business. So keep that in the back of your mind, Anthony, as you go along. And if you have a specific axe to grind with somebody, be specific. That's the best way to go about it. Speaking of Trevor Lawrence, good old sunshine, remember the Titans, the laid back, well, he's from the South, but I mean, he's got California kid written all over him, even more so than Sam Darnold, the way he looks. Speaking of him, the prodigy, the generational talent who, you know, I'm on record as saying I don't agree with the generational talent tag 
I think he's an excellent prospect. But generational talent in terms of professional football, I don't think that's him. Uh, his release scares me. His everything, how everything's come so easy to him in his life scares me. And in a lot of respects, picking number two is sort of a blessing in my eyes for the Jets, for Joe Douglas as it relates to the future. But speaking of Trevor Lawrence, recently did an interview uh, April 14th, three days ago with Michael Rosenberg. And the comments that came out of this piece were interesting. And yes, if it had been someone else, such as a Justin Fields, a Zach Wilson, a Darnold, a Josh Rosen, I don't think they get as much as a pass as Lawrence does. Now, let's go through what he said. Because this could be broken down a couple different ways. Quote, it's hard to explain It's hard to explain that because I want people to know that I'm passionate about what I do and it's really important to me, but I don't have this huge chip on my shoulder that everyone's out to get me and I'm trying to prove everyone wrong. I just don't have that. I can't manufacture that. I don't want to. Uh, I guess his, uh, who is it, fiance, Marissa? They're not married, right? Long-term girlfriend, Marissa, she was there too. Uh, She adds, there's also more in life than playing football, of course. Back to Trevor. And I think people mistake that for being a competitor. I think that's unhealthy to a certain extent. Just always thinking that you've got to prove somebody wrong. You've got to do more. You've got to do better. End quote. Of course it's unhealthy. But that's the trade-off. See, that's what people in the public spotlight have to deal with. You see the millions of dollars, you see the fame, but hardly do you ever seem, see what's exchanged for that, you know, for financial, um, security, a lot's given up. Privacy is given up for a chance to be a God, for a chance to be immortal. Normalcy is given up. These guys, NFL athletes, I mean, it's even worse in the NBA because there's so little, uh, so few guys compared to the NFL. But the more famous you are, the more you give up. It's a bartering system. The, the more you work on something like a rabid animal, the more you give up in your personal life. You know, anyone could say it. Just go ahead and build a business. Go ahead and do it. Go get it done. What's so hard? What's so hard is the sacrifice that goes along with that the sacrifice that people don't see and for Zach Wilson, for Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, these guys have to sacrifice a lot for the millions of dollars for their place in the NFL. That's reality. Now we live in a very different world compared to decades ago. Michael Jordan started it in the nineties in my mind the win-at-all-costs mentality. It was there previously, but the win-at-all-costs-for-championships mentality. Jordan started it. He was a jerk, and for that, he had to be a jerk. He had to rub people the wrong way. Tom Brady continued it. 
You think Tom Brady's life is normal? I mean, it's very possible Tom Brady's not at peace and he never will be at peace because his internal drive makes it so. Because he values winning Super Bowls and his professional football career above all else. That could very well be the truth. Yeah, he has a family. Yeah, he has Giselle. But what if Giselle is just like him? And she has that same internal drive. And what if they're great parents? But still, there's that nagging thing within you that you have to be the best no matter what. And you'll sacrifice other things in your life that are not as important. No matter what the truth is, These words from Lawrence do matter when evaluating prospects. That internal drive matters. Everyone's talented in the NFL. You know, Ryan Leaf was extremely talented. It's the character traits that separate the guys who make it and the guys who don't. It's even more of the character traits that separate the guys who become immortal, like Brady, And the guys who have great careers. And that's a huge part of the process. It's hard to identify. It's hard to know who has what. But that's got to be part of it. Are these comments from Lawrence a huge deal? It depends. I mean, a lot of people will say, hey, if this way works for him, God bless him. And maybe it does. Maybe this laid back way works for him at the next level. And he becomes a champion. He becomes everything he wants to be. But to completely wave it away and tuck it away and think it means nothing is to be an idiot. Simply put, it means something. The question is, what exactly, to what extent does it mean something? You know, if I'm drafting one or two and and that guy... Is tied to me at the hip for the rest of my career. Most general managers only get one shot in the NFL. If that guy's tied to my hip and I got to get it right no matter what, I'm sorry. This concerns me. Let's not lie to ourselves. I want the Brady. I want the maniac who will sacrifice other things for the sake of his goal for the sake of the of what drives him as a person he can't live if he doesn't meet that goal i want that guy i want that guy with the internal drive maybe lawrence has it and his comments don't mean that he doesn't uh on twitter today i think he tried to back up the comments a bit and Michael Rosenberg I heard him was it on the Rich Eisen show I heard him talk about it and Rosenberg told him he's like listen people might take these comments the wrong way and his response to Rosenberg was I don't care so be it it's okay let's see what he said on Twitter Lawrence it seems as if people are misreading my sentiment I am internally motivated. I love football as much or more than anyone. It is a huge priority in my life, obviously. I am driven to be the best I can be and to maximize my potential and to win. Capital letters, W-I-N. 
I have a lot of confidence in my work ethic. I love to grind and, and to chase my goals. If you can ask anyone, uh, you can ask anyone who has been in my life. That being said, I am secure in who I am and what I believe. I don't need football to make me feel worthy as a person. I purely love the game and everything that comes with it, the work, the team, the ups and downs. I'm a firm believer in the fact that there is a plan for my life and I'm called to be the best I can be at whatever I'm doing. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. LOL. I guess the only commentary I would have is Lawrence didn't strike me as an LOL type person, but uh, listen, I forget who it was in the Rosenberg article who said Lawrence could retire tomorrow and walk away from the game and still be happy. That's a hell of a thing. That's a hell of a thing. Could Tom Brady ever say such a thing? No, there's no chance. So it matters. I don't think it's as big a deal as some people are trying to make it out to be. Uh, Lawrence could get away with it based on his stardom in high school. Coming out of high school, now coming out of college, he can get away with it more than others. But it's all part of the character, the culture talk, in which the Jets and Joe Douglas fully understand. Douglas has been preaching culture forever. It's not just about talent. Mark Schlereth was on Rich Eisen, and Mark Schlereth, who's been clowning around with Jets fans for the last uh, week, I'd say. Jets fans, don't, here's just a little advice. Don't let it get to you. That's the reaction he wants out of Jets fans. He wants you to get all up in a tizzy and up in arms and loud That's what he wants. Why do you give him what he wants? Assess what his goals are in trying to provoke you. And once you do that, you come to a clear understanding that if you respond in a certain way, you're giving the man exactly what he wants. Now, was it done with malice intent? Not at all. He's he's joking around. He's being Ric Flair. He's being the heel. He's playing the part. That's what he's doing. And it's funny. To me, it's really funny. But don't... (laughs) There's a way to respond and react to it, to play along, rather than give him and Jets haters the satisfaction in knowing that he got to you, that he got under your skin. Be the baby face instead of being the fan watching the baby face and the heel battle. Do that. That's the key. Uh, Kudos to Schlereth for what he did, because it was a solid week of social media activity that provided some entertainment. But Schlereth, he hopped on the Eisen show, which I included in this story that you see on YouTube. This New York Jets regime understands the NFL draft isn't just about talent. He hopped on the Eisen show to talk about that topic, actually. Um, Lawrence was discussed a little bit, but he said one thing that struck me pretty, pretty well. Quote, Joe Gibbs said this to me when I first came into the league. He said it to our team all the time. Great athletes will make plays in the first three quarters. Character men that care about each other and are willing to sacrifice 
win games in the fourth quarter. There is a cultural aspect to playing this game and playing this game well that has to take place. And I think that's the thing that misses most people who are fans of football that I, that think it's just about good players, end quote. And that is correct. It's not just about good players. And for Jets fans, you should be optimistic. All general managers, all front offices put on at least the appearance that they understand that it's about more than just talent. But the question is, which ones actually believe it? And which ones actually uh, attribute a, the appropriate percentage to the non-talent factors? And I think Douglas, what he did last year in the draft, what he's done in hiring Salah, I think that in his history with Ozzie Newsom. I mean, if you think about it, he won two Super Bowls with Newsom in Baltimore. Then he goes to Philly. They win a Super Bowl. He's the vice president of, uh, what was his exact title? Player personnel, vice president of player personnel. They win a Super Bowl. His arrival and departure coincides with uh, growth and decline. He leaves Philly. They gradually decline. And now they're just restarting over everything again. But he has shown, he he preaches it all the time, culture, culture, culture. And yes, you'll roll your eyes at that, but it's critical. It has many definitions, but the process is more important than the results. If you're going through the process, and this is more coach speak, but if you're going going through the process the correct way, it's much more important than the results. And that's what Douglas has proven. And when you think draft in two weeks, Think character, think culture, think leaders, and of course, think Zach Wilson, because that's going to be the next quarterback of the New York Jets. Yankees just lost uh, to the Rays, which means, what are they now, 5-9, and 5-10? and ten? Got off to a horrid start here, and Yankees fans are besides themselves when they're not throwing baseballs onto the field. What a disgrace that was. Uh, come on, guys. The, the stadium's not even packed. And the left field, I think it came from the left field. Left field stands are throwing baseballs onto the field. Yeah, they're 5-9 and nine now, last in the AL East. And I have a problem now because I grew up a Yankees fan. But unlike the Rangers and the Knicks, I lost my Yankees passion which leads me to watch the Mets a lot more. And the other factor is the SNY broadcast team is tremendous. I know the Mets are going through a hard time with uh, their front office stuff with Alderson and Porter and all that stuff. New story from the athletic dropped this week. Why they waited till now, I don't know. It's uh, interesting to say the least, but... Cohen, Hernandez, and Darling do such a great job. I find myself watching the Mets over the Yankees at times. Mets are on, what is it, 442 right now, Eastern time. Mets are on at 5. Guess what? I'm going to watch the Mets. You know, I didn't grow up a Mets fan. I grew up a Yankees fan. But that that's my internal conflict I have to deal with. Yankees off to a terrible start. Rangers today, they are on a roll, folks. Bushnevich, a hat-trick completed it with the empty netter, uh, put a scare into all fans though, went up for nothing and then gave up three goals late to let the devils back into it. 
Eventually, they got the empty netter, two empty netters, one six three, and now they're only four points behind the Boston Bruins. Can they make the playoffs? Either 12 or 13 games left. I'm not too sure, but only a handful of games left. 50 points, 44 games played. Bruins, 42 games played, 54 points. So it's going to be tough. Uh, Pittsburgh is the other team. They've played 43 games, 57 points. Bottom line is this. The Rangers are a fun team to watch. With the talent they have, with Shesterkin, who, how the hell was him and Georgiev trading games early in the season. David Quinn, what are you doing? Shesterkin is so much better than Georgiev. It's not even close. Uh, Hopefully they can make the playoffs because I can't go another year without the Rangers in the playoffs. What we saw last year was not the playoffs. That was outrageous. So I don't count last year. Uh, Rangers on a roll. We'll see what happens. Yankees stinking it up. Mets are coming together a little bit but they've they haven't played enough games yet snowed out last night uh we'll see what they do today in colorado and the knicks missed the game last night because uh we played middletown for those who don't know i'm also a coach a high school coach port jervis i can't be there every day obviously because of my other duties but uh i check out the film help put in the defensive game plan during the week, you know, over phone, over the internet. And then I'm the guy in the press box upstairs on game day, on the headset with the head coach, uh, with all the coaches. Port Jervis knocked off Middletown 14-7 last night. We scored first, 6-0, penalty, backed up the extra point. Five yards, missed the extra point. Middletown came back, scored, hit a good chunk play against us on a post play to number 22, Rodney Bell, who is a stud receiver for Middletown. This kid runs routes tremendous, tremendously. So what we did was we bracketed him all game. Played a 4-2-5, hoped our three tech and our one tech could handle the inside. Sometimes they, they play the flex bone, which means... They run it to the outside a lot. And as long as our inside could hold up, we would have strong safeties coming off the edge on either side, depending on motion, and the backside strong safety drifting a bit. So as long as our one corner could handle the other receiver, our free safety bracketed Rodney Bell with the other corner, and it worked. We gave up one chunk play to him. It led to a one-yard touchdown run. Uh, We scored in the second quarter to go up 14-7 with the two-point conversion and held him out for the rest of the game. First Port Jervis win against Middletown in the Bell game, they call it. Interesting, Rodney Bell, not related to the Bell game in any way, but two Bells in the story here. And, you know, Port Jervis undefeated. It's such a shame because these kids got robbed. This is... This was their year to make a run in states. Last year was my first year, the head coach's first year, who I played with in high school. And it was a 4-7 and seven or a 3-7 team before that. We only lost two games last year. One districts got to the state semifinals, lost 8-7 to seven in the state semifinals. So it's a shame that COVID hit and they had the season taken away. 
There's obviously no state tournament in the spring this year, which means just one district game. Uh, you got to feel bad, but at the same time, they just did something that hasn't been done in seven years, beat Middletown, which is a much bigger school than Port Jervis. And they have a chance to uh, win districts or regional, whatever they're calling it, next week against Marlboro, which is interesting because Marlboro was the school Nania attended before he moved. I think he moved in high school and he grew up in the Marlboro area, whatever that city is, uh, that district, and attended that school. So we play Marlboro next week. Late night last night with that game, missed the Knicks game. Uh, Knicks still in a position to make the playoffs, but we'll see what happens there. Yeah, with the win over Dallas and uh, good friend KP, they moved to 30 and 27, three games over 500. Who would have thunk it? I wanted Thibodeau badly for the last few years. They finally pulled the trigger. And even though a lot of people were concerned about his uh, usage of minutes, it's worked out. At times, Randall has looked exhausted. There's no question. But Barrett has taken the next step, and Alec Burks has been huge. He is sometimes the number two option behind Randall, depending on how the game's going. Peyton, quickly. Quickly is everything you want, except you don't know with the floater, with the three, you don't know if he could finish near the rim. He, he could do it in college at Kentucky, but he just doesn't have that frame to finish at the rim. And the other thing is his his shot is slow at times. It's not a quick release. It's a funky delivery. That's the one thing you don't like about quickly. Uh, his percentages are pretty low. Whether he's a point guard or not, I don't know. For his sake, he really needs to be a point guard at his height. He just fits in much better. Uh, but he's a nice bench option right now. The shame of it is Peyton not being able to shoot with Barrett out there would usually be a killer, except that Barrett's been shooting well. So with Randall, Barrett, Burks, and uh, Noel, how can you not like Noel? Noel has, what a tremendous pickup. Burks and Noel have been under the radar, fantastic acquisitions for the Knicks. You, You can't say enough about those, those two acquisitions and the team as a whole. In the sixth spot right now behind the Celtics, half a game behind the Celtics, one and a half ahead ahead of the Heat. And you want to avoid that seven to uh seven, eight, nine, ten. Yes, yeah, seven to ten spot. Because that's the play-in seeds where the top six don't have to play in. So Mets in ten minutes. Obviously, this is not live, so they would have already played or would be playing while you're listening to this edition. Draft in 12 days. As soon as I wrap up this podcast, I'm going to do some Zach Wilson film. So be on the lookout for that. I know uh, Blewett's going to do a lot of stuff too. We got 12 days to cram it in and it's coming. Uh, the mock draft simulator up on JetX is still there. It's not as great as it was when it first came out in terms of you know, there's mock drafts everywhere. What we added was the chance to build the entire team. We added free agency. We added trades in terms of Watson and Russell Wilson and player cuts and all that stuff. It's still there, but now that the offseason is over, other than the draft, 
in terms of ranking mock draft simulators, it's not even close. Pro Football Network and Draft Network are so much better. So if you're just looking for a mock draft simulator, check those guys out. Those sites are great. Ours is still there. Rankings aren't as great. Uh, The trade options aren't as great. We do have trade options, but if you have some free time, check out the draft simulator at JetX and be on the lookout for film. It is coming and there's only 12 days until the Jets officially announce the next face of the franchise. Everyone thinks it'll be Zach Wilson. As I stated in our last podcast, I think that's the right call. I think what he's done at BYU translates much more easily and much more clearly than Fields does at the next level. But we'll see. What the Niners do will be very interesting. Everyone thought it was Mac Jones or Trey Lance. Now a lot of people are thinking it might be Justin Fields. You know, uh, Fields had that second pro day set up specifically for the Niners. So we'll see. Until next time.